7. Warning, I'm going to read the rest of my translation. Actually, it's sort of a performance of a translation it took a couple of years to develop. And so call me Phoebe. That's what, who originally performed this epistle, quite possibly at least in the gathering of the Roman saints. She hand-delivered it. So I'm going to read... And if you need to leave, I don't, I'm going to not stop until it's done. So we may be slightly over eight. If you need to leave at eight or whatever, go ahead and leave. So, and also we want you to know that the part three of the doctrine of justification is already in print and on the information table. That's one of the nine theological functional specialties doctrines and it took a couple of years to develop that one this is something that's important for us because it's not the information the doctrine of justification is as far as i've seen something that is non-existent in theology today so it's something that i think we had the grace of god to make some pathfinding discoveries on it and it's a very important doctrine. Has to do, it feeds in very well to our major theme now for seven or eight years the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ. Let's take a couple of moments of prayer for silent prayer. And we'll start with Romans 11 7. We'll finish with Romans 16 27. You think you can endure it, Mark? Can you? If you can do it, okay. We'll do it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this document called the Epistle of Paul to the Romans. It's one of the most historic and important pieces of writing in all of history. Even within the Word of God, it's one of the most significant for its demonstration, its revelation of the person of your son, its revelation that your pleasure in him has been extended to all of the human race in all of its times, and this is the gospel. And as this is read tonight, may we read it in the spirit in which it was inspired. May we receive it as the initial recipients received this glorious epistle and may insight after insight be granted to Tetelestai Phalanx and may these truths be riveted into our soul resulting in worship resulting in the doxologies that we're going to read tonight that give glory and honor to you to the triune God and it's to the triune God that we dedicate even this performance or this reading of this section of what this of this glorious monograph so we commit ourselves to you and this time in Jesus name amen Romans 11:7 what then israel as a whole did not find what it was looking for but the elect part did find it the rest were hardened just as it stands written 
God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear even to this day. Moreover, David says, let their table become a snare and a net and a trap and a means of punishment to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be continuously bent over. Psalm 69, 22 to 23. So I, Paul, say, they have not tripped in order to fall down permanently, have they? Of course not. Meganoito. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles in order in turn to provoke Israel to jealousy. But if their misstep is bringing riches to the world and their defeat riches for the Gentiles. How much more will their totality bring them? Verse 13, but now I'm speaking specifically to you Gentiles in view of the fact that I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm expanding the horizon of my ministry with the intent that by doing so I may provoke my flesh, my countrymen of Israel, to jealousy and thus be an instrument of Yahweh in provoking their jealousy and save some of them. That is, so that some of them will awaken to the salvation even now before the eschatological moment when every eye will see him. Some of these are bracketed comments. 15, for you see, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead, a general resurrection. For if the first fruits offered up are holy, so also is the whole batch of dough. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some branches were broken off and you Gentile Christians, though a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and have become a participant in the richness of the root of the cultivated tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches, enthusiastically gloating over them as if you're better than they are. If you are boasting... You should instead bear in mind that you aren't sustaining the root. But the root sustains you. Consequently, your enthusiasm is misplaced. So you who choose to keep on boasting will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. Well, rightly said, they were broken off because of unbelief, which God temporarily imposed on them. And you are caused to stay in place as a grafted in branches by the faithfulness of Christ in which you participate by an act of God in which faith was elicited in you. The sense being you may think you stand because of your faith, but in reality you are standing in God's grace by the fidelity of Jesus. So do not be haughty, but be afraid. You better curb your enthusiasm 
Verse 21, for if, as you are thinking, God did not spare the natural branches, then by your way of thinking, he may not spare you either. 22, take a good look then at the kindness and what you call the harshness of God. Harshness to those who fell and kindness toward you. If you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, by your way of thinking, you like them will be cut off. Furthermore, even by your way of thinking, if they do not continue in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. God who disallowed their belief can cause them to be faithful, and he will. Verse 24, for you see, if you were cut off, From what is by nature a wild olive tree and were contrary to nature, grafted into the cultivated olive tree by an extraordinary act of God, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? That, by comparison to your unnatural grafting in, would be an ordinary act for God. My siblings... I've said all this because I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. And so that you will not be sensible only in yourselves. That is, so that you will only be restricted to mere human common sense, which is a limiting norm in your group. That hardness has come about in part of Israel only until the totality of the Gentiles comes in, enters the kingdom of God as the Israel of God. And then without further ado, all Israel will be saved. As it is written from Zion, the same place where God laid the tripping stone, the rescuer will come. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Indeed, this is when I fulfill my covenant with them, says Yahweh. That is, when I take away their sins. As for the gospel, for the time being, the hardened part of Israel, the broken off branches, are enemies for your sake. But as for election, they are beloved because of the patriarchs who represent and include them proleptically for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. As you Gentile Christians once disobeyed as pagan unbelievers, but now have received mercy. So they, the hardened part of Israel, whom you Gentile Christians see reflected in your Jewish Christian brethren, also have now disobeyed, disbelieved, became unfaithful, so that the same mercy given to you, they will also receive. For God has shut up all human beings in disobedience and unbelief in order to have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the wealth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unfathomable are his judgments 
including his judgment to imprison all in unbelief in order to have saving mercy on all through the judgment of the cross. And how incomprehensible are his ways of acting. For example, God reconciled the world to himself by means of the death of his son. For who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever become his advisor? Who has ever first given to him and has to be paid back? For from him and through him and to him are all of the beings of the entire universe in all of its times in a universal return. To him be the glory for all the ages. Amen. So by the mercies of God, verse 12, the ever-renewable compassions of God that bring you into the newness of life and newness of service to God and others by the Spirit, by this mercy, I urge you, siblings, to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Many bodies, one sacrifice, the sacrifice of the corporate Christ in a graced imitation of the offering of Jesus Christ to God on the cross by which God overcame evil by the essential good. Set apart and acceptable to God is this offering. This is your primary reasonable act of priestly worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this evil transient eon by giving evil for evil. Instead, be transformed by the making new of your way of thinking, resulting in the affirmation of the good, the well-pleasing, and the completely attained, that is, by Jesus Christ and him crucified, will of God making you an instantiation of God's intention to bring all things under the gracious headship of Christ through instauration, the practical interior effect of our co-crucifixion with Jesus, expanded to give the sense. Verse 3, for through the apostolic grace and authority that was given to me, I say to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Instead, it is necessary to think reasonably with reason over passion as each one has been assigned faithfulness and by that I mean Jesus Christ's faithfulness as the measure and standard of judgment. Verse 4, for just as in one body we have many parts and not all the parts have the same mode of acting, so we the many bodies, that is, are one body, in Christ, and individually members of one another, according to the grace given to us all, we each have different gifts. If one of those gifts is prophecy, let it be exercised in agreement with the faithfulness. That is, let it be used to proclaim or tell forth the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. If your gift is service, then concentrate on serving. 
If it's teaching, then focus on teaching. If it's to encourage, then concentrate on encouraging. If your gift is to share, then share without holding back. If it's to be a caregiver, then do it earnestly. If it's giving mercy, then do acts of mercy cheerfully, unreservedly, without complaining. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's hypocritical if it's shown for members of your clique or group, but not for the other. Recoil from evil, and by that I mean from giving back evil for evil. Stick to what is good. Be agents of benevolence and beneficence. Show familial affection to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor instead of competing to receive honor. Compete in giving it. Be diligent, not lazy. Be fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. For this love rejoices in the truth and hopes all things. Be patient in tribulation. For this love is patient. Persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue opportunities to show affectionate receptivity to strangers. Speak well of those who persecute you. That's right, I said. Speak well of them. And don't curse them. This is in accordance with the law of the cross, whereby God does not overcome evil by raw power, but by transforming it into the supreme good. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who are weeping. Be sensitive to the needs of others. Don't think highly of yourselves. Instead, associate with the humble. By doing so, you will be associating with Jesus himself. Don't repay evil with evil, as this is hostile to the law of the cross. Strive to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, because all human beings recognize what honor and honesty means. As much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Never seek revenge, loved ones, but leave a a place for the so-called wrath. For it is written, I will repay. Payback is my prerogative, says Yahweh the Lord. Only the Lord pays back by transforming grace rather than evil for evil. Instead, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you will heap coals upon his head. A figure of speech, which means that perhaps you'll lead him to repentance and to the abandonment of his counterposition and hostility. Don't be overcome by the evil of this transient aeon, but overcome evil with a policy of surprising benevolence 
kindness and goodness that surprises your enemies. Chapter 13, in keeping with this robust policy of non-retaliation and benevolence, every soul must be subjected to the governing civil authorities. For no authority exists except by God. And these powers that be have been established in office by God. For this reason, anyone who opposes this authority is resisting what God has instituted. Moreover, those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For the governing authorities are not a cause of fear to doers of benevolent actions, but to doers of harmful deeds. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority and live your lives without fear? Do good then, and you'll have its praise. For government is God's servant to you for good. But if you do evil, then you better fear, for it is not for nothing that it carries the sword. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does evil. Therefore, it is necessary to submit, not only because of your fear of wrath, retaliation, upon revolutionaries, for example, by the Roman Empire, but also because of your own conscience, so that you can live with yourself, knowing that you're not resisting God's ordinance. Because of this, you pay taxes. Since people in the government are God's ministers who are serving God in what they do, as proof of your subjection, pay everything what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, Tariffs through whom, to whom tariffs are due. Respect to whom respect is due. Respect, that is, for their office. Honor to whom honor is due. Leave no debt outstanding except for that of love to one another. For the one who loves the other has fulfilled the law that is filled it full. That one who has loved the other is Christ. Be imitators of him. For this, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the total filling up of the law. And now this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to rise up from sleep. For the culmination and the consummation of our salvation is closer than when we first believed. Now the night, the evil age, the transient age is almost over. The day, the consummation of the messianic age with Christ's universal appearing is near. So put off the works of darkness just as you put off your night clothes in the morning and put on the armor of light, waking up not just to live, but to do battle against invisible, hostile powers. 
Let us walk in a way that is appropriate for daytime, not sleepwalking, inattentive, unreasonable, irresponsible, or unloving. Not with excessive partying and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery. These are distortions of our liberty from the flesh into a pseudo-freedom under the control of the flesh, which is really just slavery to sin. Not in quarrels and in partisan strife, factionalism rooted in group bias, grounded in the desire to have preeminence over others, to be Lord over others. On the contrary, that is instead of desiring to be Lord over others, put on, submit to and enter into a graced imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the new eschatological person, and make no provision for the flesh, that is, for its impulsive desires. Be receiving the one who in your estimation is weak in the faith while not passing disapproving judgments on his or her opinions. One person believes that he or she can eat everything, but the weak eats only vegetables. The one who has the freedom in their faith to eat everything must not despise the one who does not eat because their faith prohibits certain foods, especially under certain conditions. The one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats because God has received her or him unconditionally because of Christ. Who are you to pass judgment on a house servant of another master? Kurios, other than you, the Lord Jesus is her or his master and yours. To his or her own master or Lord, he or she will stand or fall, but stand she will. Because the Lord God has the power to make her stand. We will all stand and not fall before the judgment seat of God because the judgment will be conducted through the one who has been judged for us on Mount Golgotha. Expanded comment. You see, one person distinguishes one day from another. Someone else judges all days alike. He who observes the day or some day like the Sabbath as special observes it to the Lord. And the one who eats does so to the Lord, giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ, his Lord. For none of us lives to himself alone. And no one dies to herself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord into his embrace. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. For this reason, Christ died and came to life, that he would be Lord of the dead and of the living. Now you, why do you judge your brother or you? 
Why should you consider your brother to be of no account? For you see, we will all stand to be accounted for at the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me will bow every knee and every tongue will give praise to me. So then, each one of us will give an account to God. Therefore, from now on, stop disapprovingly judging one another. Instead, judge this. And by that I mean determined to do this, to put no obstacle or enticement in your brother's way. I know and have been persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if somebody considers something to be unclean, then to him it is unclean. If because of food at your love feasts, you're causing your brother pain, then you're no longer walking according to love. Over mere food preferences, do not destroy your brother for whom Messiah died, for he who died for all died for each. Therefore, do not let your good, and by that I mean your freedom from strictures related to diet, don't let that freedom be slandered. For you see, The kingdom of God does not consist of questions and preferences and restrictions regarding food and drink. On the contrary, it is righteousness, the experience of God's saving action. It's peace, harmony between believers, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Anyone who serves the Messiah in this way, that is, in the way of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, is pleasing to God and approved by people. So then, let us pursue the things that make for peace and mutual edification. To the strong, those who call themselves by that title, do not destroy the work of God. Every believer is his work being the temple of God. On account of such a little thing as food. It's a noble thing to abstain in your love feasts from eating certain foods or drinking wine if by this so-called freedom you trip up your sister or brother. Keep the faith that you can do these things between yourself and God. I could say it's your next party or your next dinner party. Keep it between you. Blessed is the person who does not incur self-condemnation for doing what he himself approves. But whoever is unconvinced that they are free to eat or drink is condemned by his own conscience if he eats because his eating is not a result of a settled conviction that he may do so. And everything, every action and deed that does not proceed from faith or a settled conviction that such a thing is approved by God is sin. Complicity with the reign of sin and thus antagonistic to the law of the cross. We who are authentically the strong then, 15.1, the real strong, the authentic persons, 
are obligated by love to bear patiently with the frailties of the weak, those we deem to be weak. Each one should strive to adjust to his or her neighbor for his good, to build him up. For the Messiah, our Lord Jesus, did not please himself. Instead, as it is written, the Messiah says the the insults that were aimed at you have fallen on me. Psalm 69.9. For everything that was written before in the scriptures, the writings of the prophets, the Old Testament writings, everything was written for our instruction to the end that through the endurance and through the encouragement imparted by the scriptures, we would have hope. And that means we would all share one hope of the universal glory. Now may God, who is the source of endurance, encouragement, and encouragement, grant you agreement with one another by a graced imitation of Messiah Jesus, so that together with one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, and I said all this to say this, receive one another just as Christ has received you. For the glory of God. By that I mean specifically the glory of God's grace. By which we are accepted in his beloved son. For I say in verse 8 that Christ became a minister of the circumcision. That is the Jew. On behalf of the faithfulness of God. To make good on the promises made to the patriarchs. And so that the Gentiles. The Greek will glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I, Jesus Christ, will praise you, God my Father. Among the Gentiles, and sing psalms as the descendant of David the psalm singer. 2 Samuel 22.50, Psalm 18.49. And again, the scripture says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people, Israel, all together as one body. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people groups praise him together. Psalm 117.1. And still again, Isaiah this time says, the root of Jesse and the heir of David's throne will come. The one who rises by resurrection to rule the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Septuagint of Isaiah 11.10. Now may God, the source of hope, completely fill you up with joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow with a contagious hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My siblings, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced that you are full of beneficence, filled up with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Nevertheless, pulling rank, as it were, I've written to you quite audaciously and boldly on some points by way of a reminder through the grace that was given to me 
as a minister accountable to Christ Jesus for the Gentiles to perform the priestly duty of proclaiming the good news of God. My purpose being that the offering of the Gentiles be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Consequently, I have a reason to boast in Christ Jesus about the things that pertain to God. For my audacity does not extend to speaking of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring about the allegiance of the Gentiles by word and by act, that is, through powerful signs and wonders performed through me by the Spirit of God. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Christ in a geographic arc from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum across the Adriatic Sea from Italy. My ambition and my policy is to preach the gospel where Christ is not named so as not to build on another person's foundation in accordance with what is written. Those who had no report of him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Isaiah 52.15. This is why I've been prevented so many times from coming to you. I've been quite busy. But now, I no longer have a place in any of these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, as I travel to Spain, I hope to see you in passing through and to be sent on my way there by you once I have first enjoyed your company. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For the churches in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a gracious contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Greek saints aiding Jewish saints. Yes, they were delighted to do it. But when you think about it, they owe them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual benefits of the Jews, then they're obligated to minister to the Jews materially in this case. Consequently, only when I've finished this task and safely delivered these funds will I leave for Spain by way of you. But even though I have to accomplish this task First, I know that when I come to you, it will be with the fullness of the blessedness of Christ. Now I urge you, siblings, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, that you fight together with me instead of fighting each other, Fight together with me in my arena by your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and find rest with you. The God of peace be with you all. Let it be so. Now let me introduce you to Phoebe, our sister. 
who will hand deliver this epistle to you and perform it before you. She's a minister of the church in Cancria on the port of Corinth. So welcome her in the Lord in a manner that's worthy of the saints and stand by to assist her in whatever things she may need from you. For she has been an agent of beneficence and benevolence to many, especially to me. Salute Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who laid their neck on the chopping block to save my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches because because of their actions, I'm still alive and was able to dictate this letter. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Salute my dearly loved friend, Epinatus, who is the first convert in Christ from the province of Asia. Greet Maria, who has worked very hard for you. Salute Andronicus and Junia, a married couple, my fellow countrymen, and former cellmates who are outstanding among the apostles and who were incorporated into Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urban, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my dearly loved friend. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greetings to those of the house church of Aristobulus. Give my loving greeting to Herodian of the house of Herod, my fellow countrymen. Greet those of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, twin sisters who have worked hard in the Lord. Salute Persis, the beloved, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Salute Rufus, a choice one in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters that are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ salute you. As a warning note, I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eyes open. Be attentive. For those who cause dissensions and set traps, Contrary to the doctrine that you've learned. Turn away from them. For such dissemblers do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ as imperial slaves. On the contrary, they're slaves to their own appetites. Through smooth speech and flattery, they seduce the hearts of the unsuspecting and the inattentive. Do this because, and I know you will, because of the report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to remain experienced with respect to that which is good, 
but innocent like children in that which is evil. Now the God of peace will soon break in pieces the adversary under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, salutes you. So do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, whose name means Father, our Savior, my countrymen. I'm Tertius, and I salute you in the Lord. I'm the writer who took the dictation of this letter from Paul. Gaius, in whose home I, Paul, am a guest and who hosts the whole church in Corinth, salutes you. Erastus, the city manager of Corinth, and our brother Quartus, the fourth, while Tertius is the third, salutes you. Again, I say, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who has the power to strengthen you, to make you to be among the authentically strong by my gospel and by my proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the apocalypse, the revelation of a mystery kept silent for ages of time gone by, but is now manifested through the writings of the prophets and made known to all the nations by edict of the eternal God to bring about the obedience that is a participation in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ by all the nations. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory for the ages to come. Amen. Father, deliver these words to ready hearts. And may our hearts always be indicted with the matters addressed in Romans to your glory. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.